Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, sleepyheads. This is episode 34 of The Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and maybe I should go to the catacombs. My diet soda habit's out of control. Ooh, and I'm Barb, and wait a minute. What's that? FBI, freeze! I don't think that's going to stop him. No, I don't think he'd listen to you. (laughs) He definitely wouldn't listen to me. Today, we will be discussing the 16th Sleepy Hollow episode of Season 3, entitled Dawn's Early Light, which was written by Leigh Dana Jackson, Sam Clayson, and Nelson Greaves. And it was directed by Paul Edwards. And Steve, I thought this was a great episode. Oh, I did too. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Our writers really hit it out of the park. There were great lines. It was funny. There were moments of pure panic. Delightful. Just delightful. It absolutely was. I I know I had a blast live tweeting this episode. All right, let's how about giving us a recap, Barb? I can do that, Steve. The episode opens with the Hidden One controlling and punishing Pandora by holding her underwater in her own pond. He coldly reminds her that she is only a human as the sand trickles through the hourglass. Ezra Mills stops by Abby's home and has brought an old family album. Abby is enjoying the time with her father, but Jenny is clearly disturbed, reminding her father that he left her mother. He says there were too many secrets and that a relationship can survive almost anything except secrets. Ichabod Crane arrives home at that moment with his new food discovery, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Abby sees Danny Reynolds at the fitness center and tells him she needs to talk to him and tell him some things, but an emergency call from Crane summons her back to the archives. Crane had arrived at the Masonic cell to find Pandora there. She was looking for pieces of her box to stop the hidden one. She tells Crane that the box can only be fixed in the catacombs and they have 48 hours until the hidden one will be unstoppable. Crane knows that Betsy Ross was in the catacombs since he saw her cutlass there. He tells Abby that he believes their only option is to go back, but he won't do it unless she agrees. Crane recalls the last time he saw Paul Revere and Betsy Ross together was on New Year's Day, 1776, as Washington's forces prepared to cross the Delaware River to attack the Hessians in New Jersey. Abby and Crane speculate that the crossing of the Delaware may actually have been a journey to the catacombs. Team Witness examines the painting, Washington Crossing the Delaware, and conclude that Betsy Ross was in the boat. Crane recalls the last time he saw her when she showed him the new flag that she had created. Abby realizes that the gold thread Betsy used on the flag is linked to getting to the catacombs, that Paul Revere had the flag, and they head to Boston to retrieve it. Arriving at the museum, the team gets the flag, but Crane realizes that it's a counterfeit and wasn't made by Betsy as the stitching is different. Suddenly an alarm goes off, and a monster in a uniform of the 8th Virginia Regiment attacks the team, throwing fireballs at them. 
They escape, and Crane realizes that the creature is one of the deserters from this regiment who was tarred and bandaged using infernal materials. It transformed him into a creature known as the Eternal Soldier, and they believe that Paul Revere must have assigned it to protect the flag. The creature will not rest until it hunts them down. Back at the archives, Joe and Jenny continue their research to find a way to the catacombs, but Jenny remains distracted by her father's visit. Joe realizes that the holes in the flag are musical notes, the opening notes of our national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. They believe that Francis Scott Key took the flag from Paul Revere's home in 1812 when the British were invading the country and ransacking artifacts, and left the fake flag as a clue to the whereabouts of the real one. They believe Key was a mason, knew the story of the eternal soldier, knew how to avoid it, and hid the flag in Fort McHenry in Baltimore, Maryland. As Abby and Crane are leaving for Maryland, Danny arrives and asks Abby what is going on, and the eternal soldier arrives. The three of them escape, and Abby explains to Danny that she and Crane fight demons and monsters, which is why she has been so secretive. When Danny returns to the office, he asks Sophie Foster how long she knew, and she reminds him how crazy her story would have sounded. She tells him that once you know the truth, there is no going back. Pandora tells the Hidden One that she will no longer support him. She said the witnesses are stronger because they have each other and love each other and that he only loves power. Abby and Crane arrive at Fort McHenry and find a statue of Orpheus. They use the first notes of the Star-Spangled Banner to open a secret passageway and find the original flag. They are attacked by the Eternal Soldier, and Jenny appears, freezing it with liquid nitrogen, and Joe smashes it. Back at the office, Abby tells Danny that she cares for him, and they kiss. Ezra Mills brings strawberry taffy to Jenny, showing her that he recalls those special moments from her childhood. Abby and Crane meet at a park at sunrise, and as the sun strikes the open flag, a magical map appears. The map to the catacombs. Let's go. All righty, Steve. Before we talk about this great and fun episode, do you have any news for us? Oh, we sure do. More good rating news. Episode 13, Dark Mirror. The live plus seven numbers are in, and it was tied for ninth in adults 18 to 49 percentage gain, increasing by 86%, and it tied for 19th in viewers percentage gain, increasing by 56%. That's great news. Yes, it is. Now, last night's episode, Don's Early Light, preliminary numbers are in. We had 2.52 million viewers with a 0.6 rating and three share among adults 18 to 49. Now, before everybody has a heart attack, remember, the NCAA tournament is still going on. It was also Good Friday, which is the beginning of the second highest travel weekend in the country. So we weren't the only ones that were down. Almost every other show that was on last night was down. So don't have a heart attack. Yes, I have to admit, I did not see it live last night because I was at a Good Friday service at church. And so I am one of the people who watched it a little bit later. So I probably didn't count in those preliminary numbers myself. Right, but you will show up in the live plus three. You bet I will. So Steve, what kind of rating did you give the show? Oh, I gave this a 9.25 Dear Crane Letters. Aww. (laughs) I bet the fans were really kind of hoping that 
maybe Abby would give Danny a dear Danny letter instead. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, I gave this nine pieces of strawberry taffy. That was a very nice touch by Papa Mills. It really was. I guess that's what Jenny was going to get in her little Easter basket. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we got a lot of good stuff to talk about. I'll tell you, Pandora and the Hidden One. Woo-hoo. Oh, yeah. It's on now. (laughs) Game on, baby. (laughs) Yeah, the Hidden One uh, decided to have his little talk with Pandora, and she wasn't doing much talking because she was underwater. In her own koi pond, no less. Yeah. Talk about disrespecting someone. No kidding. I'll just go ahead and say it now, and I'm going to get it out of the way early. (laughs) Yes. Okay, he's a jerk. He's a total jerk. But let me tell you something else. He is an abuser as well. Okay, but but he's a complete jerk. Absolutely was. But Peter Mintz is doing an incredible job in the role, so. But his character is a jerk. Yeah, he was uh, not too uh, happy with Pandora and basically just... Calls her nothing more than a bug. He called her a house pet. Yeah. (laughs) And that expects feasts rather than table scraps. Now, I know you and I are both animal lovers, all right, because you've got your dogs, I've got my cats. And I'll tell you what, my kitty cats get great food. I'm sure your doggies get great food. So this house pet stuff didn't go over well with me. No, not at all. But later on, Pandora does manage to get a little bit of... uh, comeuppance back on the hidden one as she appears again and basically puts him in his place telling him that the only thing you ever loved was your own power and that the witnesses have the power of a true bond that can conquer any might and she saw that she saw that she saw that in the way that abby was working to free crane yes she did well at least she learned by example sort of yeah, and there there could be some hope, maybe. I'm not going to count on it yet, but it's possible. I think she's still all about her box and her power because that's what completes her. That's yes. what makes her, her happy. Yes, the, the line when she says um, that he only loves his power, I tweeted out, uh, you calling the kettle black there, uh, Pandora? <laughs> <laughs> you love your power, I love my box. Yes. And it was nice that she projected into the uh, the lair instead of actually being there because she figured that the Hidden One was going to do something, which he did. He tried to uh, zap her out of existence, but yeah, with ooh, his, it with, didn't work. <laughs> yeah, with his blue power again. And she used her, because I, I, I love these words, you know I do. She used her astral projection. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad they brought that back. I just find that fascinating. And we also got another return. The Sisterhood of the Radiant Heart was involved in this episode as the soldier was a deserter from the 8th Virginia Regiment that was captured by Washington. And he turned this deserter over to the Sisterhood. And they basically ended up creating this eternal soldier, which... Of course, was so close to Headless, it wasn't funny, and made everybody miss Headless even more. And you know, when I first saw him there, the first thing I thought of was that he could have been one of General Hal's, like, zombies. Yeah. 
But you're right. It was much more headless than the zombie. Yeah, because it was not giving up, and it followed Crane and Abby everywhere they went. Yeah, those sisters, they had their fingers in just about a little bit of everything there, didn't they? Yes, they did. We didn't want the eternal monster clearly to take out our team, but it was sort of hard to root against him in a way, because he was doing his job. He was protecting secrets that no one else should get. I guess the forefathers sort of forgot that someone at some point in time might need to actually get the flag and get past the eternal soldier, and they kind of forgot that. Right. I was kind of expecting Crane to find something that, a secret word or something that would cause the soldier to allow that person to have access to the flag, but I guess not because... Somebody else had to see the soldier, and we'll discuss that here in a little bit. Yeah, I guess it was nothing that his buddy Benny had written down somewhere for him. Exactly. Yeah. All right, how about Team Witness, Barb? Okay, for Joe and Jenny. So they had another interesting week, and I think that one of the nice things that we've seen with them is how well they work together. To me, they're like a little, they're like a mini Abby and Crane. Yes. And... Because Jenny will say something, and then Joe will say something else, and Jenny will feed back off of that, and then they they just work together so nicely. But when we began the episode, Jenny was not very happy with Daddy Dearest. Not showing up at Abby's place. No, she was not. No. And then, of course, he's, he's bringing this old family album, and the first thing they're looking at are pictures of Abby as a baby, and he's talking about when she, you know, how long it took her to walk, and... Kind of leaving Jenny out of it a little bit, although he drew her in. But Jenny was still holding him pretty accountable for leaving mom behind and for deserting them. I mean, she's having clear abandonment issues again. And I thought that she was a little bit more open to the initial meeting with him, but perhaps he had not reached out to her during that time. And then the first thing that she sees is that he's showing up at Abby's. And not at her place. Right. And that, so there there might be a little bit of unintentional, that little twinge of, of jealousy or feeling neglected, potentially. Right. But one of the nice things was that Joe did talk to her about it later. And Joe has gotten her to open up, talk about her feelings, and really helping her deal with them. And he said, your father is trying. Yes. And I think that was one thing that it did sink in to Jenny a little bit. And then to see Ezra show up at the end with the taffy that she is thinking about during her discussion with Joe about him was absolutely perfect. And I automatically thought, well, okay, he brought over the photo album and he brought something wrapped and we never saw them open up what was wrapped. Well, see, now I was thinking that was one of those really old fashioned photo albums, though. That was in one of those funky covers, the really oh, old, okay. the really old fashioned kind, because I have like thirty of them sitting on the <laughs> stairs. Uh, yeah, the old ones that used to be very popular back in the day, and and so that's kind of what I I thought it was because I you're right. At first, I thought it was something that was wrapped, and then as they had it on the table, I thought, well, that's just an old fashioned kind of quilted cover album. Right. Okay. because so. I was trying to figure out exactly. What kind of, I guess because he sensed Jenny's, you know, he didn't sense it. He outright, you know, 
she basically told him that she wasn't, still wasn't happy with him being around, that that kind of clued him in that he needed to go back and think of something special that might open her up a little bit more towards him. And the taffy was the thing that did that he thought of that might do it. Yeah, well, remember, Abby brought that up because she said, what was the name of that shop? Remember that taffy? You know, it got stuck in your hair. Mom had to cut it out. So he knew that that was something then that was important to her because she kind of like blew it off like, yeah, well, I don't remember when she clearly did. But the nice part was that when he, at the very end, when he knocks on the door and he hands it to her and he says to her before she looks in the bag and before she realizes what it is, he said, this is to say, thank you. Thank you for opening the door to me. And that's basically right. for even giving me a chance to even think about letting me coming in. Right. It was a lovely touch. Yeah. And it definitely made you feel a little more comfortable about Ezra being a possible good guy than a bad guy. Yeah. I think. Yeah, but I flip-flopped on that during the episode, so we can talk <laughs> about that later. <laughs> now, I loved how Joe was the one who came up with some key information this episode. That was so awesome. He remembered his sixth grade field trip. <laughs> but you know what? That would have been a big deal in the sixth grade if you if you travel to Boston. I mean, kids now in school, they go on field trips all over the place, right? But back in the day... We didn't do stuff like that. And so he oh, remembered. No. no, he remembered his sixth grade field trip to go see Paul Revere's house turned into a museum in Boston. And he remembered all this stuff. It was fantastic. They all looked at him like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I expected Crane at least to give him a big pat on the back for that one. Like, oh, you remember yeah. history. How wonderful that would be. <laughs> but all of Team Witness contributes to the mission. Now, the other thing he did that I thought was so cool is that once. Abby and Crane sent him the pictures of the fake flag. He looked at it and he realized that all the holes were exactly the same size. They were symmetrical. And he said, well, wait a minute. This isn't a moth eating through the flag. This is supposed to be like this. And he's like, well, why were those stripes on the flag? And it's like, oh, wait a minute. This is a musical staff. Those are notes. And then he wants to play Name That Tune. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we know what this is going to be. And it was. Oh, say, can you see? And Joe sure did see through that, didn't he? He sure did. And that was another huge, important clue that they needed to have. So it was absolutely fantastic having Joe be the one to come up with the main clues to this episode. And then, of course, Jenny comes up with the idea on how to deal with the monster. Liquid nitrogen. That was smart. And of course, Joe later said, science. Yeah. So I guess Joe must be into history and science, which is fantastic. Good for you, Joe. Yeah, they, they froze him. Um, they turned him into the frozen chosen. And then and then Joe just took that sledgehammer and smashed him to smithereens. And that was pretty cool. I felt a little, I mean, I felt a little bad again for the eternal soldier because he was just doing his job. But lobbing fireballs at our heroes is not cool. Oh, no, no, it's not cool at all. No, that's why he got frozen. Ha, ha, ha. Exactly. Sorry, that was lame. All right. So what about Ichabod this episode, Steve? Well, before we even see him, we discover that maybe Crane has got an issue with uh, losing keys because we hear Abby making the comment that when she hears somebody at the door that 
she's going to tie his key around his neck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Steve, I guess they didn't really need door locks in colonial America, did they? No, but at the same time, he's, he's adjusting as well as he has. You would think that he would be able to keep track of a key. Good point. <laughs> I'm sure he knows where his cell phone is at all times <laughs> now. You're right. Now, it was absolutely fantastic the way, because he comes in with food and is totally shocked to see somebody in the house besides Abby and Jenny. And to find out that it's Daddy Mills, he really pulls himself together quickly. Fast on his feet, but we we know that about him. Yes, and he was presented himself to uh, Mr. Mills and was very polite, as always, when meeting somebody new. So that wasn't anything new. He was a perfect gentleman. Yes, he was. I did think it was real interesting that as Ezra was leaving, he said, take care of my daughters. I thought that was interesting also. Why would he say something like that unless he knows a little more than what he's letting on? Exactly. And that's why I thought the the wrap package was possibly something else Uh, and not the photo book was because there's just something about him that's, yeah, they mentioned the taffy and of course he brings her the taffy and it's just, there's... I think there's more to him than we're still aware of. And hopefully we'll find out in the next episode or two. Now, when Crane talked to Ezra Mills, and then later when he talked to Abby, do you think that perhaps he had thoughts about his own relationship with his son in the back of his mind? And that's why he was so hopeful that the girls would reconcile with their father? Oh, absolutely. Because that was something he always was hoping to do once he found out that he had a son was to be able to have a relationship with him. And it never went that way for him. So, yes, I'm sure that he is rooting for Abby and Jenny to be able to have family again, besides just the two of them. Now, of course, as we discover that, yes, well, before we can get there, I loved how he handled Pandora when he found her in the <laughs> in the archives. I wouldn't trust her either. Oh, no, not at all. Even after working with Abby, that meant absolutely nothing to Craig. No, he was great. And he got in a couple nice little shots, too. Oh, yes. He definitely had a couple of shots that we will talk about later. But he does finally give in and considers that, yes, maybe if the boxes reconstructed in the catacombs that that may be the one thing that can stop him. And he's kind of going gung-ho at it until Abby shows up and basically he sets it all down. I'm not going any further unless you agree. I know. And that's incredible because they have said so many times, and we talked about this last week too, that their role as witnesses and really saving the world has to come first. And yet last week, Abby put Crane first. This week, Crane is putting Abby first. Because, yeah, her initial reaction was not only no, but no. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not going back there. Yeah, no way, no how. Exactly. 
the flashback I thought was fantastic. And especially the way Crane remembers it because he was so bent out of shape. Yeah. <laughs> for not getting to go on the mission with Washington. It wasn't funny. And he still is. <laughs> and for him to recognize Betsy because of her hat. Yes. Okay. You know what? I hate to say this. And because later on, he's going to remember her, her stitching. He remembers a wee bit too much about Betsy. He paid an awful lot of attention to her. Yes. Yes. And where was, I'm sorry, but Katrina, and I know, and I know you guys out there, a lot of y'all don't like Katrina, but mm -hmm. the thing is, at this point in time, shouldn't she have been dating him, seeing him, maybe even married to him at this point? I mean, we're talking December of 1776. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking, because they were married for about six or seven years, I believe. I believe. I'd have to go back and check. But I'm thinking, wait a minute, this isn't jiving here. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing was, we got a wonky timeline here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of like with Francis Scott Key, at least what we originally thought. <laughs> exactly. But apparently, Crane never actually got to see her again after the... Uh, the Crossing, which is interesting in the fact that we are pretty sure that she made it out of there. Now, unless she ended up having kind of the same problems that Abby had with getting over the amount of time and all of that, if she really loved Crane, why wouldn't she track him down? Unless it was after he was killed that she finally made it out of there. Well, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Abby was there and we knew that Betsy Ross's cutlass was there. And we had speculated that perhaps she had gone after Paul Revere's nephew, which may not have been the case now if she went with Washington as they quote unquote crossed the Delaware. But she clearly went, she got the eye of Providence out and now I'm I'm kind of going to begin second-guessing myself <laughs> and wondering whether, well, I don't know, because we saw Paul Revere making then something to contain the, the eye. Right. So maybe, maybe those events happened after she had, no, they couldn't have happened after she retrieved it. That happened before. You would think. That happened before she retrieved it, because if she never came back and he had taken care of her nephew, and that was when... Paul Revere was serving as a dentist, which, if I recall correctly, was be, uh, was uh, quite a bit before the Revolutionary War broke out. Then, then, uh, then I'm confused. But you had said <laughs> I'm confused on the timeline. But I remember you had said at the time that maybe if she had gotten there, or maybe the kid had gotten zapped by the hidden one, maybe Betsy got zapped by the hidden one while she was there. But after she had found a way to throw the stone back down the well. And it emerged in the lake on the other side. And maybe Paul Revere knew, maybe that's where they all were. And they knew she'd come out there. And so they got the stone that way. I don't know. I, it's pure speculation. But you know what? I think we're going to find out next week. <laughs> Let's hope so, at least. Yep. <laughs> and I loved how Crane was absolutely clueless to what Betsy was telling him about the flag and being what the the one thing that she's remembered for. Yeah. <laughs> yep, Betsy Ross, you remembered for the flag. And then of course he gets bent out of shape again when he 
is told that there's a musical about Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) On Broadway and has won quite a few awards. (laughs) And that's why the visitorship at Paul Revere's house is up because they're hoping to see something of Hamilton's there. Yeah, I know. (laughs) They don't want to see Paul Revere. They want to see Alexander Hamilton's stuff. (laughs) Very good. And I love the way he kind of was sheepishly trying to uh, get information from Abby about the relationship with her father. Because Abby basically has the time. Crane, what is it? What do you want to ask? Yep. And then we get this nice talk once again, where Crane basically tells Abby that don't leave anything unsaid. And I know all the shippers went, say it, Crane, say it. Well, at that point, I was wondering two things. Number one, did he care for Betsy and he didn't tell her that? Number two, is he trying to tell Abby he cares about her or not? Well, Abby took his advice. Oh, yeah. The raw, not, probably not, maybe not the way he intended. I don't yeah. know. But it's like, okay, Crane, say what you mean, mean what you say. You would think if he was actually going to say something that that was the time because they were alone. They were together, they were talking, and it didn't happen. So, yes, the shippers definitely took a a blow in this episode. They were frozen and shattered last night. Yeah, just like the eternal soldier. I know. The flame went out. Poof. Don't lose hope yet, kids. Yes. It's not over till the fat lady sings. Yes. Or maybe until um, Hamilton sings. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Couldn't help it. Yeah, wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> oh, my. They go see the Broadway play. I know. <laughs> and it was so great to get the Indiana Jones moment there at the end where Crane has Abby meeting just as the sun is coming up and you see the flag, the gold in the flag reveal the path to the catacombs. The minute that I saw that on the minute as I as they were sitting there together and Crane is saying he's tried everything on it and he can't you know nothing's working and then he then he remembers by dawn's early light. The light. <laughs> and he's sitting out there and you can just see the sun starting to peek peek up in the trees and I'm like, Yes, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's gonna be the well of souls all over again. And again. <laughs> poof, it lights up and I'm like, Yes, yes. That's my favorite flick. Yes. I was very excited by that and that golden river there. That was a magnificent moment. I'm I was cheering the writers for that one. Yes, that was a very nice shout out to, by the writers. Loved it. Loved it. All right, let's talk about Abby Barb. So we've talked about Abby a little bit already with Ezra Mills stopping by to visit and the fact that she feels like she's making progress with her dad. You know, they're not reconciled, but They're making progress, which is a huge step for Abby because, again, we've watched her character grow and develop so much since the winter premiere. You know, she's gained more insight into herself as she's willing to take more risks. But one of those risks is, again, the one that lit up Twitter, as you said, and that's where (laughs) she was being a little flirty with Danny at that gym fitness center first thing. And I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah. (laughs) And she tells him she has a few things to confess and to be truthful about, you know, the whole no secrets thing. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, dear. But then as soon as Crane buzzed her, she ran right off. And you could see Danny being exasperated, right? 
Yes. <laughs> but when she turns to to Crane and tells him that she wants to tell Danny the truth, and Crane is like, okie dokie, but he kind of gets that mask on his face, the non-emotion, like, right, as if he's trying not to say too much or not try to say too little. And I thought, well, I'm not sure where this is going. And he asked her if she was sure. And then she said the line that I knew blew everybody out of the water. If I want to have any chance at something more with him, I have to be honest. Yes. And I think all the shippers' hearts stopped their collective beating at once. And the <laughs> sighs of anguish were heard worldwide. <laughs> Indeed they were. And I thought, really? Really? The third to last episode of the season? You, you guys are going to do this to us? And I thought, writers, y'all were like totally hitting it out of the park. And you did, except for that one, which got everybody like a little spooled up. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well have thrown that fire straight at their hearts. Um, but you're right. We've got two more epis here in this season. Let's see what happens. But I, I still think that this could be a potential setup for a season four with conflict, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll just have to wait and see. Right. What was really funny, of course, was how Danny was introduced to yeah. the monster. <laughs> that was so awesome. That was great. FBI free uh, the FBI freeze. And what I actually really liked even more about it was here, you know, Papa Mills had brought over the photo album and showing, you know, baby's first step, baby sitting up type of thing. And I'm thinking, Danny's first monster. <laughs> they go right into a little phobo- photo album. I think yeah. um that didn't work real well. <laughs> yeah, I would love to have that the picture of him, his face. face. Oh, that was great. His eyes are big, like, what, what, FBI? Like, and, and Abby's like, uh, Danny. And he's like, I, I put a whole clip into that thing. And like, uh, no, Danny, no, not going to work. It's not a he, it's an it, it's a monster, okay? That was, so, that was hysterical. So, it absolutely was. But she didn't really want to tell him about the monsters in that way, and... And have him find out the way he did. And then, of course, as we said in the recap, she sits down, has a heart-to-heart with him. And I'm, I'm sitting here scratching my head. And he's like, is it okay if I kiss you? And I'm thinking, um, excuse me. There are rules in the work at workplace about very specifically relationships between bosses and their subordinates. And Yes. <laughs> and all you have out there are glass offices. And y'all are going to, you know, lock lips there. And really? Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. But at the end... When Abby looked at the mystical map sitting next to Crane and said, let's go. I thought this is this. These next two episodes are going to be fantastic. Yes. And it, I definitely think Abby feels a whole lot better about going, knowing that she's going with Crane. And I think too, to some degree that she's clearing the air with people and I wouldn't necessarily necessarily saying mending relationships around her, but working on establishing them and putting herself out a little bit more like she is with her father. Absolutely. But yeah, she is actually beginning to establish a life for herself. Yes, I agree. Because before she was a protege of August Corbin, she did go to the FBI, which and do her training, which is what she wanted to do. But she is definitely finding herself as her own woman. Not that she hasn't been, but I think that the burden of the witnesses and what she saw as a child, the fact she's established a relationship with her sister now, I think that finally she's getting to the point where 
she can deal with it in her life and meet life head on. Right. And it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It still can be both. Yes. And I know the sleepy, a lot of sleepy heads don't want to hear that. But if you guys remember, there was a whole lot of belly aching going on about Crane getting to have relationship with Miss Caroline and then Zoe. And Abby was being left out in the cold. Well, she's not anymore. Um, is that sort of what's good for the goose? <laughs> <laughs> it's not From ever what yet. was being said, yes. All right. Because a whole lot of people were wanting Abby to have a life as well because Crane was. Yep. Yep. So some you know, people it's... will be happy. Some people will be unhappy. Yes. But we want Abby to be happy. That is the most important thing. And safe. Safe is the most important thing. Yes. Yes. Now, we did have a lot of callbacks to previous episodes, and we've mentioned a couple of them, uh, the the sisters, and there were a couple more, weren't there, Barb? Well, I thought one thing that they did a very nice job on was weaving back in this mythology from some of our prior episodes. The Lydian Jug, uh, which we remember when we saw Crane escaping um, from the what the 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 motorcycle gang, right? And right. Blasting through the farm, and he had stolen the Lydia, Lydian Jug at that point in time. And so that what was what Abby discovered was that I think that was used by Orpheus to locate your dice in the underworld, and then to enter the underworld. Though he used. Um, a lyre with one string, one string of it with a golden thread. And that's, of course, how they then ultimately managed to get into the Orpheus statue at Fort McHenry. So I thought it was nice that they kind of brought back in some of those elements and artifacts that they had used previously. And what did you think about the twist on uh, Don's early light? Well, this was kind of interesting, I thought, because we saw the painting of Washington crossing the Delaware. And in the painting, it shows that he's doing it at dawn, which is entirely incorrect because (laughs) they left in the middle of the night. So they wouldn't get busted. Yes. (laughs) Which was really, um, which was, I think, really humorous. And then, of course, the fact that we ended the episode. Well, actually, before that, the Star Spangled Banner, obviously, Dawn's Early Light, Francis Scott Key, which we'll talk about in a bit, but with Abby and Crane sitting looking at the flag in dawn's early light, and there's the map to tell them how to get back to the catacombs. Yes. So I think it was very, very nice that the in the way in which the writers wove all of this together. Right. And wasn't it Jenny that said, hey, now wait a minute, this doesn't add up, just like we had said before, you know. Uh-huh. How can this, no, you're talking... <laughs> future how can this be tied in but exactly and that's when of course they figured out what had probably happened information keys the masons yes father was a mason and Uh he probably had most of it written before francis (laughs) was even a glint in his eye and just handed it down to him maybe so but yeah everyone is like everyone was well wait a minute this makes no sense whatsoever (laughs) So they anticipated that because, of course, all that was filmed well before we made our comments. Oh, absolutely. Our writers are so much smarter than we are. (laughs) All right. Daddy Mills, do we think he's good or bad? I am truly going back and forth on this one because he had a business trip to Maryland. Yeah, that definitely gives you 
Pause. Because he went to Atlantic City, New Jersey to get the candy. Right. Now, he could take a side trip because it's a it's a shot from from Maryland up 95 through New Jersey and on up into New York. Right. Uh, yeah, that's only going to add a couple hours to his trip. Yeah, so. to take a little detour east and go over to the beach area. But but still, I thought, oh, I I don't know. You know, could he be working with Danny's FBI boss? Why was he going to Maryland? Right. Uh, I I don't know. But is he really a good guy? He knows something. He knows that his wife went bonkers. He knows things. And so to me, it's one of two things. Either he's going to, well, maybe three. He's going to turn out to be a bad guy and disappoint him again, which I think would be heartbreaking at this point. And I don't really think the writers are going to do that. Right. He could have been a bad guy in the past and maybe changed, but was too embarrassed. And maybe that's why he never got back with his daughters. True. Maybe that's why he told Crane to take care of them, because he knows more than what he's letting on. Yeah. I mean, there there was just too many things that occurred in the episode to keep you from completely going, yeah, he's a good guy. The trip to Maryland, telling Crane to take care of his daughters, well, why aren't you going to be around? Yeah. And it just, oh, come on. <laughs> Well, again, it was the first time he met Crane, because you can't see here, now I'm going to make the argument for him, because it was the first time he met Crane. He has not been involved with them for very long, his daughters. And so there is still that awkwardness of trying to reestablish a relationship, and it takes time to do that. Right. And he may not be aware of Crane's relationship with either one of the girls, just like Danny was. Danny asking Abby if Crane was a ghost. Yeah, but asking somebody that you've just met for the first time to take care of your daughters? True. That's an odd statement to make. Yes, it is. And that's why I keep bringing it up. (sighs) Something don't add up. It just doesn't add up. I agree. And so the thing is, is that maybe if he's good now, does that mean he dies before the end of the season trying to protect them? Or is this something that carries over into next year? Hard to say. Yeah, hard to tell. Yeah. But we do know, yeah, he's going to be around. At least for the next two episodes. Episodes, yeah. Oh, Danny. Now, Danny I'm still struggling with because after he found out about Monsters, Inc., (laughs) he went to the office and got Sophie, whom was just throwing the tennis ball against the wall, (laughs) which was actually very amazing, and said, how long have you known? Who else knew? Who, who else is involved? And I'm thinking, are you in FBI mode? Is this, is this your training kicking in? Or are you working for Jack Walters? Right. And I think we dismissed that before because when Jack told him to back off of Nevins. Nevins. Yeah. Right. And he's like, well, why? Yeah. And the other thing that makes me think that Danny maybe isn't bad, he's just trying to figure things out and he is in FBI mode is that when he was in the hospital and he was completely out of it, that's when he told Abby that he loved her. Right. And no matter how good of an agent you are, if you're under the influence of medically induced stuff and you're out of it, you're going to more likely tell the truth than you're going to tell a well-rehearsed lie. Yes, very true. So, uh, I don't know, I'm going back to him being 
being a good guy and just being a jealous good guy. Right. Because uh, he definitely is a little bit of jealous of Crane. I think so, too. Yeah. Yes. And I love Sophie throwing the tennis ball, but it immediately reminded me of Mulder throwing pen, you know pencils. What? Yes. I thought exactly <laughs> the same thing. Yes. Except they weren't, at least she wasn't throwing them up in the ceiling. Right. <laughs> That's where they would stick. And it was a bit sad because she doesn't know what's going on and she's not being involved in it. So she was her her whole reason for being in the episode was to tell Danny that yeah, she hadn't been there very long either and it's really just us. Yeah, but doesn't that kind of get us to the whole uh next issue that we have? Yeah. And how many more are we going to uh grow which Almost always means we're going to have a subtraction. Yeah, because basically our good guy team has now expanded to Abby, Ichabod, Jenny, Joe, Sophie, Danny, eh, Pandora, maybe, maybe not. So that's too big. Too many people. Too many. And this show is not afraid of knocking off characters. No. (laughs) So who are we going to lose in the next two weeks? Care to make any bets? I'm thinking Danny and Pandora. You think Danny's going to go? Yep. Well, I completely agree with Pandora because that's going to be the end of this one and Pandora's going to be gone. So, right. One way or yes, another. Yes, I think Pandora will, will not survive the season. What about Sophie? As much as I'd like to see her stick around, I'm wondering if she's at risk. Oh, well, almost anybody is at risk. Good point. But yeah, no, I'm. I'm such a big Sophie fan. I can't say yes. <laughs> oh, you love Betsy Ross. <laughs> no, I like Sophie too. And, I th- and, and I'll tell you what, I am so impressed with the work that she's done here. If she shows up on another show, I'll watch her because I right. think she's, she's got this, she's got a great, she, the actress can portray characters with a mean streak, with a great sense of humor and with smarts. Yes. So yeah, Jessica yes. Camacho is, is, has done a fantastic job with Sophie Foster. Yes, she has. And we can't lose Jenny or Joe because they're just so darn cute together. Yeah, that would be a riot. Um, (laughs) And and if Danny is a good guy and they're setting him up as a potential love interest for Abby, that could be a season four thing, too. Right. So that you've got that tension for season four, which tells me that then Sophie would be more at risk than Danny would be, which would be very sad. Yes. All right, I guess we'll find out. Absolutely. Okay, we're off to the catacombs again. I think they'll be successful in uh, regenerating Pandora's box? I think that if that's the last way to take him out, then the answer is yes. Right. However, if they get to the catacombs and discover an alternative to that, which also wouldn't surprise me because we get so many twists and turns in the show, then maybe it won't be the box. Maybe it'll be some other. another emblem maybe maybe and i guess the question then is too is is pandora really truly finished with hubby now kind of thinking that after he quasi waterboarded her in a way that she may be done with him i uh, yeah i think so but i don't think she's completely giving up on getting her power back agree and that's what's go- that's what makes her so dangerous still is all this could be nothing but a way to get her power back. 
Yeah, because so, it's interesting because as narcissistic as he is, in a way, she's quite a bit like him. Yes. Because it's all about her. Her and her powers. And how and she gets what she wants. Oh, well, we will see. Yes, we will. <laughs> so Crane had a bunch of great lines this week, Steve. So you want to give us a couple of those as our ickyisms this week? Oh, absolutely. As he comes walking in with food, here endeth the reign of the House of Burger. Long live the new fast food king a poultry farm in Kentucky and Colonel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> KFC is my mom's favorite fast food. Yes. So. Yeah. Here endeth the reign of the House of Burger. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, he can't get Colonel completely out because he sees Papa Mills there. And when he meets up with Pandora, well, then how unfortunate that I am the only witness here. Oh, yeah. Stop talking. Judging by your appearance, this will actually hurt this time. And everybody's screaming, shooter, Crane, shooter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so your impending demise caused a change of heart, eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just loved how uh, he was not buying any of her uh, song and dance. He zinged her. Yep. Several times. Impossible for most, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. Not us. <laughs> and then, of course, his rant about a musical about Alexander Hamilton. Unbelievable. The man had a voice like a stuck goat. Seriously, that's why he wrote so many pamphlets. No one could bear to listen to him speak. <laughs> yeah, that was great. And I, I really had a hard time. If I had to pick between either that one or the, the first one. The yeah, first that, that, one. the hard choices. Oh, very hard choice. And as he figures out what they're up against, well, unlike said person, we have roused the beast. And in doing so, I fear we may have painted the proverbial target upon our backs. Yeah, and that they did. All right, you got a history lesson for us, Barb? Oh, my goodness. So I really had a hard time choosing this week because there were so many delightful little nuggets of twistery that they threw out for us. Oh, didn't they, though? Oh, uh, they really did. So I decided to go ahead with Fort McHenry, Francis Scott Key, and the Star-Spangled Banner. All right. Well, Fort McHenry is a five-pointed star-shaped fort, like our flag, located in Baltimore, Maryland. It was built in 1798 and was named after James McHenry, who was a delegate to the Continental Congress from Maryland. The fort was designated a national park in 1925. Now, beginning at dawn on September 13, 1814, British warships began bombing Fort McHenry and didn't stop for 25 straight hours. The British were attempting to capture Baltimore and its harbor, but were unable to get past the fort, losing the battle. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer who was working with the British prisoner exchange agent, Colonel John Skinner, to negotiate the release of prisoners, including one of Key's friends. They had boarded the British ship on September 7th and were not allowed to return to their own ship as they had seen the strength of the British troops and became aware that the British were going to attack Baltimore. They became prisoners themselves for the next several days. The 35-year-old Key watched from the deck of the British ship as Fort McHenry was bombarded. On the morning of September 14th, he saw that the flag was still flying at the fort, inspiring him to write a poem. 
defense of Fort McHenry on the back of a letter which he had in his pocket. The poem was set to the popular medley, the anachronotic song by English composer John Stafford Smith, and within days the song was published and became popular. Washington Irving, then editor of the Analectic Magazine, reprinted the song in November 1814. In 1889, the Star-Spangled Banner became the official tune to be played at the raising of the flag for all naval events. In 1916, President Woodrow Wilson ordered that it be played at all military and other appropriate occasions. It was played during the seventh-inning stretch of Game 1 of the 1918 World Series. On March 3, 1931, President Herbert Hoover signed a law making the Star-Spangled Banner the National Anthem of the United States of America. And I think that we all know that first stanza quite well. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight, or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. And believe it or not, there really is a statue of Orpheus adjacent to the fort, and the pedestal contains a time capsule. Oh, sweet. I know. I'm sure everybody looked at that last night and thought, there is no way, but there (laughs) is. And I'm going to give you some... Links in our show notes. Again, I have to thank Wikipedia for much of the information here. For the star links to the Star Spangled Banner, to Francis Scott Key, and to Fort McHenry. And in the Fort McHenry pictures on that site, you can actually see the picture of the real Orpheus statue. Absolutely fantastic stuff there, Barb. And if you're in Maryland, stop by and visit Fort McHenry. I lived in Baltimore for a very long time and visited Fort McHenry on a number of occasions because every year they do have a reenactment, and it's just a really neat place to go. So stop by and visit one of our national treasures. So, Steve, did we have any feedback this week? Oh, as always, our bestie Justina has called in and left us a message. So here she is. Fantastic. Hi, Barb and Steve. That episode of Sleepy Hollow was pretty awesome. I give that 9 out of 10 star-spangled banners. I really like the return of Betsy Ross, the return of discussions of Washington, and therefore the return of the twisted history that Sleepy Hollow does so well. This really felt like a return to a Season 1 episode. But since Season 1, we've had an expansion of our team, and that's cool too because now they can split up and do multiple missions at one time, which makes the episodes richer and more exciting. This week's monster did make me miss Headless. He's a staple for the show, and I feel like I hope that they find a way to bring him back someday. And after the events of this episode, I think that I might get my wish and Pandora might come over to the witness's side and help them in the final battle against the Hidden One. And if Pandora's box gets fully formed again in the process, we may get to see Headless again because we know that he is in Pandora's box. Wouldn't that be interesting if the villain from Season 1 that gave us so much trouble ultimately came back to help the witnesses in Season 3? 
that might be a little too far-fetched of a theory, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. This is Justina signing out and saying, I don't know if I'd like to follow a magical flag map back to the catacombs, but if it meant saving the world, I guess I better try. Have a great week. Thank you so much, Justina. That was an absolutely fantastic message. Nine star spangled banners. Love it. Absolutely do. And I'm with you, Justina. I always like seeing Betsy Ross. <laughs> we know you really like Betsy Ross, Steve. <laughs> and I, I liked her comment that she thought that it felt like a return to a season one episode. And I saw that comment several times on the internet this morning. Yes. But she's also worried about the expansion of the size of the team. Yep. And we totally agree with you there. We think it's going to be reduced here very soon, unfortunately. And I like the fact that she thinks that we may get to see Headless. Yes. And I hadn't considered that. I thought that was an outstanding point. Yes. The box returns. Maybe Headless will come back with it. Oh, let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope. Well, and that's what a lot of the fandom would like to see as well, because we've seen those comments. Yeah. And I'm with you. I'm not sure I'd want to follow that map either, but to save the entire world, yeah, you just got to go all in. Yeah, you do. So thank you very much, Justina. Great feedback, as always. Yes, always, always great feedback from you. And we also got left a message on our Facebook page from one Miss Bonita. Last night's episode is my favorite this season. That's awesome. Yes, it is. And we tend to agree with you, Benita. It's right up there with one of the best ones of the season so far. We're real excited to see how the rest of the season plays out now. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and the season, so please send us your feedback and theories. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. This week's shout-outs go to... Cindy Jackson, Michelle McKeever, Matt Milner, Bows Your Pal, Sarah Maurice, and the one and only Paul Revere, a.k.a. Dustin Lewis. Really wonderful. Thanks so much, guys. We appreciate it. And you want to tell them how they can get a hold of us, Barb? Absolutely. You can give us a call on our voicemail number, which is 304-837-2278, or you can go to the goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback page, where you can use the SpeakPipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can typey-typey out your feedback on the form, or you can even attach your audio feedback to an email and send it in. Now, our feedback time is Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. We know that's quick turnaround, so you can also then leave us feedback on our Witness Prophecies page on Facebook or get in touch with us on Twitter at WitnessProfGSM. Steve is at SalyerSteve, and I'm at Tangier14. And now we've come to the part of the podcast where we discuss visions of the future or upcoming episodes, so you know what to do. You need to run. Run as if you are the eternal soldier and Jenny is chasing after you with a great big can of liquid nitrogen. (laughs) All right. Episode 17, Delaware. They're crossing over. Abby and Crane go on a difficult journey on an all-new Sleepy Hollow Friday, April 1st on Fox. With a single day left before the Hidden One regains all his powers, 
Abby and Crane must do the unthinkable in a last-ditch effort to save the world. Meanwhile, Jenny, Joe, and Sophie devise a plan to stall as the witnesses work. Don't miss the all-new Delaware episode airing Friday, April 1st. And we're going to get Betsy Ross. We're going to have James McDaniel as Papa Mills. You would think we'd see Washington in there somewhere if we're going to get Betsy. So we'll see. I mean, this is kind of like the river of lost souls. (laughs) Maybe so. It'll be interesting to watch. Yes. And then, sadly, the episode after that, number 18, is the season finale. Abby and Crane discover an unlikely way to defeat the Hidden One. See, now that's why it may not be the box. Yes. On the all-new season finale of Sleepy Hollow, Friday, April the 8th. After a startling discovery, Abby and Crane realize what they must do, well, maybe not, in order to make Pandora's box complete again. Meanwhile, the team works tirelessly to stop the Hidden One before he destroys all of humanity. Can the witnesses succeed with the fate of the world in their hands once again? Find out in the all-new Ragnarok season finale. And we've talked about that, that Ragnarok is... Um, actually, the Norse is in Norse mythology. Yes. And that it has to do with a, the huge fight in which many great gods are killed. So, and we will see what happens then. It yes, looks like we've we got, will. We've got a couple of uh, guest folks in this episode as well. So, Ezra Mills is supposed to be back in, James McDaniel. And here he is, Michael O'Keefe as Jack Walters. Of course, Walters has got to make an appearance in the last episode. And I'm thinking that his appearance is going to be in just about the last scene. Yes. As a setup for season four. And as we've discussed, that will probably be the nine sacred sites. And that's what I think we're going to see as that ending. Yes. After they have vanquished Pandora and the hidden one. I think so, too. Yep. And don't forget, if you still have not went out and gotten the Sleepy Hollow Creating Heroes, Demons, and Monsters, the official making of book, please do so. It is an absolutely fantastic book written by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. And you can swing by goldenspiralmedia.com, click on our Amazon link. It won't cost you anything extra, and it will kick us a few pennies to help support our servers. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com backslash iTunes. Tell your friends, and we sure do hope you're enjoying our podcast. This is Steve, and I know that I'm not experienced with all this, but I don't think the road to the underworld runs through a candy shop. (laughs) And this is Barb signing out and reminding you that in case of fire, keep that extinguisher handy. Very good advice. See you next week, sleepyheads. <laughs>